You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, partner and certified elder law attorney at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we're talking about how to make better informed choices for end-of-life care, also referred to as advanced care planning. Joining us for this discussion is Donna Sella. She's an RN. She is board-certified patient advocate and founder of Elder Care LLC. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Barbara. It's such a great honor to be here today. Oh, we love providing new information for our listeners and uh, clients. So just let's ease into this. What is advanced care planning? So I love that question because I think globally there is some confusion around it. And so there was actually an international Delphi panel that came together and created a really beautiful definition for it. So advanced care planning is a process that supports adults at any age or state of health in understanding and sharing their personal values, life goals, and preferences regarding to future medical care. The goal of the care plan is to help ensure that people receive the medical care that is consistent with their values, goals, and preferences during serious or chronic illness. So I think it is just a really nice definition around focusing on on the person's values and life goals and preferences and helping them make that informed decision. It is a beautiful definition and it's a beautiful concept. One thing that I that I feel like I have seen both personally and professionally is that sometimes people don't and actually not sometimes but often clients slash patients don't receive all the information they need from their medical providers to help make that plan, to base that plan upon, or to know when to activate that plan. You ever see things like that? Absolutely. Every day, um, both uh, in my practice as a nurse, but also working with our elder care clients, it's absolutely critical for them to have these informed decision conversations. And and physicians just have to be a part of that because they're the gatekeeper to the information that people are going to be basing these uh, decisions on. You know, we all know we want a good death and some of us may even have an idea of what that looks like, but how do we want to live and be taken care of until we die? Is that Mm -hmm. really, um, for some people it is, fighting tooth and and nail with every resource imaginable to preserve life. But for some people, it's not that. They would rather have shorter days with higher quality. Yep. Um, and then when they get the information from their uh, practitioners that let them know where they are in their illness trajectory, um, I, I tend to be fairly plain spoken. And mm-hmm. I find that my clients like that. Um, I, I 
try not, I try to use words that regular people understand. I'm not usually talking to other lawyers. And so doctors need to know that they're not necessarily talking to other medical professionals. They're talking to regular people. All right. Well, that's the end of my soapbox. Let's (laughs) let's move on to to showcasing your knowledge and this program that uh, you have. Describe the Respecting Choices program in regards to advanced care planning. So I am a a facilitator trainer for Respecting Choices, which is an internationally, um, actually uh, worldwide recognized evidence-based model for advanced care planning. And it focuses on creating a person-centered care plan Um, just like we talked about before, that really focuses on those goals and current and future healthcare needs. I think the beauty of respecting choices is it builds on that definition of advanced care planning by making this a conversation. And that part of the conversation is um, creating an opportunity for understanding, helping to identify why advanced care planning is so important and why they want to engage in this conversation around planning for future, uh, for their future medical care. And then the reflection piece is the next step in respecting choices. And that allows individuals to have the adequate information, like we were talking about just a few minutes ago, to begin Mm -hmm. planning that process. So most need some time and assistance to reflect and identify and verbalize their their personal goals, values, and beliefs, while also taking into effect any kind of cultural, religious, or spiritual issues. And then finally, it's a discussion. And so respecting choices helps individuals Uh, open up those channels of communication with their family members, as you said, with their providers, um, and allowing them to really have a structured conversation in the time to um, allow them to make those decisions and then communicate them. And over time, I would think that's an, that's an element too, you know, that we tell our, our families, here that when it comes to estate planning, it's not a one and done. You can pat yourself on the back for a moment that you yeah. can check that box and say you've got it done. But as life changes for you, your estate plan needs may change and then your documents need to be redone. Same sort of thing. You can start out with an advanced care plan and then as life happens and you change, your medical situation may change. You may need to revisit that plan and have more conversations. It's not just a a done thing. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing I really like about um, respecting choices is that they take different steps. So, you know, it's first steps, um, next steps, and then advanced steps. And so what we're going to be talking a lot about today is more the advanced steps. But that conversation, Respecting Choices believes that you should start having this conversation at 18. You sure. know, by giving, you know, by saying, who do you want, you know, to be your healthcare um, surrogate? Who do you, you know, what are your goals and wishes if you're in a car accident and you are, you know, not able to make decisions on your own? 
who is that person and what do you want? So the, the conversation we're having today is mostly around advanced steps, but I just, I completely agree with you. This is an ongoing conversation as people advance in age or in the seriousness of their illness. And, you know, recently, you know, the age thing makes a difference in your state of health uh, going into a medical event. So recently we saw a, a young man in, receive CPR on the football field. Yeah. And it, and it worked out for him, mm-hmm. but that's going to look real different if we're talking about your 80-year-old grandma, right? Right. Absolutely. Thanks for that great example, because you're absolutely right. And I think oftentimes what we think we know about CPR in reality, and you've been there, I've been there, does not often reflect what's portrayed on the TV. Television. Mm. Yes, exactly. And I think this is the other piece of respecting choices that it's based on informed consent. And I know that word is very important to you as it is to me. And that requires that individuals really understand their medical choices, any alternatives, any risks, any consequences, and then can make a voluntary decision that reflect what they want and what their values and goals are. So when we think about CPR, the respecting choices actually has a decision aid that we talk through. And it's perfect when it comes to being able to facilitate that conversation because it provides what are your options so the options are cpr or no cpr (laughs) right Right. those are your choices but then also it describes what it is so you know cpr is an attempt to restart your heart and your breathing what does it do it may restart your heart and breathing Um, But it may not, you know, Mm -hmm. and there are statistics that show that respecting choices use that any patient that's in the hospital with a serious illness, at most 15 out of 100 leave the hospitals and may live an average of four months outside Mm -hmm. the hospital. If you are living in the community, it is five of 100 that leave the hospital and live up to a year. So that young man was healthy and strong (laughs) when he got CPR on the field. But those statistics, I think, are are kind of shocking, don't you? I think it's extremely shocking. It's eye-opening if people would uh, know their statistics. Because if, if you're just asked, if your heart stops beating, would you want us to try to restart it? Well, that sounds like, yeah, yeah, you know, sure I would. <laughs> but when you hear, well, it's it may or may not work when we try, and we may break ribs or right. your sternum, um, and we may overinflate your abdomen with air instead of your lungs or, you know, it's not exactly like it's pristine, even when it's done by medical professionals in the hospital setting. I mean, it's not beautiful, right? To sit there and watch and to hear bones crunch. Um, And then it may or may not work. And then your odds 
the, there's a reason your heart stopped beating. Right. And it, unless that's also corrected, it may it's going to stop again, most likely. Well, during the education, and not only does it go through those first three questions, it also talks about what are the benefits? Because I want to know <laughs> what are the pros, what are the cons, right? So what are the benefits? But it also talks about what are the short-term burdens? So you were saying you might get a cracked rib. You might, you know, you might need to be on a ventilator. And what does that look like? And then what are the long-term burdens to being, you know, having CPR? But then the discussion comes down to what option best matches your values? And I can tell you from a very personal perspective. Um, I took my mom when she was 82 through this whole Respecting Choices program. And, you know, uh, she was a nurse, but we still had a really frank conversation about, you know, what is CPR. And, you know, she determined that she did not want CPR. You know, there are other things that she would um, agree to, but Mm -hmm. she did not want CPR. And, you know, I, we completely honored that because um, it's not what she wanted, but she made an informed decision and she made it in front of me and all of my sisters. So we were all very clear on what she wanted when it, when that decision needed to be made. Well, how are some of the ways that then we have these conversations, we, we, think about it, make informed consent, but how do we document it? And is, what is the post form used for? So the post form stands for physician order for scope of treatment. And if you Google Tennessee post form, it's just P-O-S-T, you'll actually be able to see the exact document that has to be completed um, for, um, for you to be considered, um, you know, to have that document that outlines what you want. So um, I want to just say, though, that, that I, as a facilitator trainer, can help fill out this form, but it does take a provider to talk through the form and then sign the form for it to be, you know, a legal document. And interestingly, I had never thought of that, this until I went through the Respecting Choices training. CPR is the only medical treatment that requires a physician order to not do. Mm, Every other order is for treatment. This is for not having treatment. And you have to have a doctor's order. Um. Uh, that's another thing I guess people don't really often think about. So other than CPR, I know clients ask me a lot about um, tube feedings or artificial nutrition. I'm sure that's part of your education with with families as well. Absolutely. There is actually a decision aid, uh, not only for CPR, but for breathing Um, for like a ventilator or, you know, we all learned a lot about BiPAP during the COVID emergency. So what does, you know, non-invasive airway mean? Um, And then what is just comfort-focused treatment for breathing? And then we also have it for long-term 
feeding. And so it goes through those exact same questions that we went through for CPR, but it's around what is long-term tube feeding? What is a trial of tube feeding? You know, if you're in the hospital and you may need it for a little while. And then what is comfort feeding? And as we go through those questions, and there's a lot of information that we can provide, then they make a decision based on their values, what they're comfortable with. And so Mm -hmm. that becomes part of the post form that has to be completed. Yeah. Honestly, um, I, it may not have been officially comfort feeding, but as I watched my husband decline with his dementia, as it progressed and took over his life, his appetite decreased. We tried appetite stimulants. Um, that really didn't have any, it, it didn't have a significant effect. Um, he lost about 10 pounds a month. And I really think we were at a place where um uh, it, it was just for pleasure. When, whatever he wanted to eat, whenever he wanted to eat it, that's what he received, whether it was from me or a friend or from the nurses at the facility that he lived. I think everybody just adopted that. We knew we couldn't make him eat enough to really sustain life. We tried. Mm-hmm. And no tube feeding was going to fix his underlying condition. Right. So there was no point in even having that discussion. So that's just a, a an example, I think, of what you're t- talking about. It absolutely is. But being able to have these conversations when you're not in a crisis, <laughs> I think is the key, right? It's like calmer heads prevail. And we can have this conversation without a lot of emotion, even though it can be a very difficult conversation when it starts. But I can tell you again, from my own personal experience, my sister texted me the next morning and said, what a gift that conversation was with mom last night. Thank you so much for doing that. She said, because now we're all on the same page. And I mean, we were in a cabin up in the mountains. It was, you know, a a family time. And, you know, it was two hours of just listening to my mom and hearing what her values were and understanding what was important to her. So it absolutely is an opportunity to have these conversations when we're not in a crisis. So when we are in a crisis, you know, we all know what needs to be done. Absolutely. That's the, that's the time to at least put the basics of a plan together is, is really before you need it. Same through same thought process with legal documents. You have to put your powers of attorney in place mm-hmm. before you need them. Um, I think that's a hard concept for people to appreciate. Um, they think they're going to have a lot of forewarning, and, and they usually don't. Right. Um, anything else you want? Um, any additional information for families or patients to know about these options? Uh, I think we've given them a lot. To think about today. (laughs) I think the most important thing that I am passionate about is that we begin normalizing this conversation. We're been saying that for years. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) And we really can truly honor our loved ones' wishes and values and goals 
Um, there are a lot of tools out there. Um, so, I mean, respecting choices is just one that is near and dear to my heart. But, you know, regardless of respecting choices, there are other tools to begin having this conversation so that we can avoid the crisis. And it really is a gift in the long run to have these conversations and having it facilitated is just a nice way to kind of take, again, the emotion out of it so that it's, you know, it can be done um, very clearly and informed. So I I love it and I'm very passionate about it. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.